In any event, I am pleased to introduce Barry and Linda Wheeler. They're going to share their journey, what they learned with uh, their son's addiction and his ultimate death, and they've got words of wisdom to share. So, Barry, I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to welcome you up. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, for the, the courage of Barry and Linda to come tonight to share uh, not only the pain they went through, but what they've learned on the other side, Father. And uh, just want to also lift up Chuck and Sandy Shapiro that are here tonight after having lost Corey recently. Father, we just pray that you'll speak to us in a mighty way. You'll speak through Barry and Linda, that we will leave here encouraged, dear Lord. And it's in Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen. Well, it's nice to be here with everybody tonight. And uh, we've all traveled a number of roads, I guess. And Mary works with me at Right From The Heart. And she was a prodigal mom, and she lost her prodigal son. And we kind of went down... She went down my road with me, and then I went down her road with her. So there's a lot of people here that have been through similar circumstances. Um, let me tell you what I'm not here to do tonight. And, and Fair and John are not experts, but they have done a lot of investigation and a lot of work. But I'm not here to tell you how to make your child drug and alcohol free. I, I don't know anything about it. I'm not an addiction counselor. I'm not anything. But if I could give you one thing tonight that I'd like for you to think about is in all of this pain, how do we have an eternal perspective? That's the most important thing to me as a believer and a Christian is how do we keep an eternal perspective? And secondly, how do we give our children, brothers, sisters, all of them an eternal perspective? And I've got, I've got something I want to read to you tonight. I, I got it from a friend of mine literally last week. And he said, I've got something you need to read and he is really suffering with health problems. He's, he's a little older. I'm 73, and he's about 75. And he's really struggling with health problems, he and his wife both. And uh, so we talk often, and he said, I want you to read this. And it won't take but a second. It's the last thing I'm going to read. We don't always understand pain. A lot of us have come to terms with that. But what seems to be worse and so much more disconcerting for those of us in the middle of a season of difficulty is we just don't know what to say. We don't know what to say to somebody else, and others don't know what to say to us. In the middle of pain, grief, anxiety, depression, loss, most words of comfort seem shallow. You've probably heard some of that. This lady talks about six words to say through the tears. These are not the six words, but we look for something solid to hold on to to find stability in the storm of gladness, a clarity in a sea of confusion. Some of the things we grab hold of are profoundly true and therefore prove to steady us. 
but lots of the things we grab hold of emanate the vacacious spirituality and shallow beliefs of our modern culture instead of the solid truth of God's Word. And if it were not for the solid truth of God's Word, I don't know that Linda and I would have survived this and be here tonight. Nancy Guthrie, who wrote this, is writing from a place of loss and grief and shares what helped her in the storm. It's not a sermon. It's not an explanation. It's not a long-winded prayer. It's six simple, beautiful, vulnerable words. I can trust God with this. You know, our country today is in a mess. And this is not so much about prodigal children and what I'm here for, but I am kind of a crusader today to talk about eternity. And we see it coming, and we have to keep an eternal perspective to get through life. I mean, you have you can't go through life grasping at the modern culture. You have to have an eternal perspective. So I wanted to start with that. That gives you a little bit of insight as to maybe who I am or or what I am. But now we're going to talk about our journey. Um, we, um, we had a great son who, let me get to my right page here, was obedient. He, he was pretty much a perfect child. He never, there was never any back talk, never any problems, never ever anything. He was a, a really good athlete. He was played on the state soccer team in North Carolina and he was the number one tennis player here at Pope High School when he was over there. And he ended up getting a tennis scholarship to West Georgia. What happened? Well, drugs and alcohol happened. He lost his scholarship for tennis, but he did graduate from college. And he came home to live with Linda and I for a while. And that worked out okay, but there was something at this point in his life that really happened good. I don't know how many of you all know of the pastor Louis Louis Giglio. Have you ever heard him? Well, he had an organization back then, and I don't know if they still have it or not. It's called 722. And it's called 722 because it starts at 722 on Tuesday nights. And he started going to 722 religiously. And he was still in the throes of dabbling with drugs and alcohol while he did that. But I firmly believe that Heath 
although he was baptized as a child, he found eternal salvation in that organization. And he was baptized in that organization. But that didn't solve all the problems. We, um, we um, ran into a little situation. I'll have a little humor here. But my wife loved her son, and he could get anything out of her. <laughs> she loved her boy. And one day I came home from work, and I discovered, and I don't even remember how I discovered, but she'd given Heath a check for $500 because he told her he was short on money. And we were already a little suspicious at that point in time. So I hit the ceiling, kind of, and we called our daughter, and they were, they were like this, and she wasn't a rat on him, but she would be as necessary. So we called Brandy and <laughs> said, Brandy, something's going on here. We need to know what it is. She said, Dad, he's on drugs. <laughs> that's what it is. So that's a short synopsis of what happened. So that day or shortly thereafter, we made a decision. I had read about rehabs. We made a decision to take Heath to Ridgeview. So we went over there, and we sat down with a counselor. We told the counselor our suspicions. She took Heath back into a room somewhere, and she came back out, and she says, Well, Heath wants me to tell you something. And, and she had to ask him, could, because he was... I don't know, 23, 4 at that point, you know, was it okay? And she told us Heath was addicted to heroin. And you talk about a jolt in your life because back then, heroin was even worse thought of, I guess, than it is now. Some people can recover. But it it just took us down to nowhere. It really did. And it, it was tough. So we committed him to Ridgeview. And we went through their program for parents at Ridgeview, which wasn't a lot of fun. And then we were, I think it had been about a month or six weeks, and I had paid $5,000 to get him in the first time, and I think another $5,000 was due. And as some of you probably know, these places are, are not inexpensive. But we found out before I paid the additional $5,000 that they had allowed five of the inmates, for lack of a better word, to go out to dinner together by themselves. Well, they all came back drunk. So all of them were kicked out of Ridgeview. So that's rehab number one. So we're saying, well, what are we going to do? And there's a place called uh, Mar, Mat, 
Metropolitan. Metropolitan Atlanta Recovery Center or something like that. So we put him in there, and uh, he was doing he was doing pretty good. And this it was a co-ed situation. And about two months after he was there, um, we got a call from Florida. I don't know who it was from, if it was a judge, or but it was somebody affiliated with the legal system in Florida. And they said, we've caught your son and a girl breaking into a house. That's the bad news. The good news is, it was the girl's daddy's house. <laughs> so, so, Linda Brandy and I had another meeting. And we said, well, what are we going to do? And I said, we're going to leave his butt in jail. This is what we're going to do. Maybe he'll learn a lesson. He calls back 10 minutes later and he says, Dad, they won't keep me. <laughs> so, so here, here we go. So I had to call a friend of a friend that lives in Florida. He goes down, fills up the car with gas. They had no money. Fills up the car with gas. And, uh, and they head back to Atlanta and I guess I'm making light of this and I know it's probably not a good time to do it. they did not have enough money to get through the toll on 400 so they were in the floorboard getting pennies out of the car uh, so back home and the little girl spends the night with us and she calls her daddy who I think was a pretty wealthy guy in Arkansas and and he says, well, send her home. So I think we put her on a bus and we sent her home. And, uh, and he stayed, stayed with us. So failure number two. We have a, a, a nephew, Linda's sister, late sister, has a nephew that's a deputy sheriff in Boone, North Carolina, was. Well, it's her son. It's her, uh, our nephew. Yeah, our nephew, her son. And he said, you send him up here. I'm going to straighten him out. <laughs> so, so we pack Keith up, and, uh, and we send him to Boone, and he gets, he gets to Boone, and moves in with Tripp, overdoses twice while he's up here. London and I go up there one of the two times. He survived both of those over, overdoses when he was, uh, was up, up there with Trip, And then we're having a prodigal meeting at our house, I think it was, John. And we got a call from Trip, And he, as a deputy sheriff, had just gone to the home of this family whose son had died of an overdose at like 13, 14 years old. And, I had, and Heath had told him about the program that we had worked through. And if y'all remember, John, you're looking at me strangely, but we made a copy of the entire program of Prodigal Child Ministries, and we sent it by Heath to the Blust House. And this was David and Sidney Bluss, a fine Christian family. 
And they met Heath. He took them the thing. They said, Heath, why don't you move in with us? And it was like God said. I mean, because we we felt really good about them. So he moves in, struggles through life with them for three years. Then he decides to go to AA. So he goes to AA, meets cute blonde in AA, and they hook up, live together. She gets pregnant. They have a little girl, precious little girl now that's a big part of our life. And they have a little girl, and things are working out. And then long story short, she is. they are living with her daddy at this point, and we get a call on November 9th of 2009, and he had died, or was in the hospital brain dead. So... I had to Johnson City, Tennessee, to the big hospital up there and and get there, and it was late. And Brandy calls and says, Dad, I'm not going to leave you up there alone. Brandy's got a two- or three-month-old baby. And uh, she says, I'm getting on a plane, and I'm coming. So Brandy comes up to comfort me and be with me. And the next morning... We had to remove Heath from life support. The doctor said, there's no no brain. I don't know if this helps. I don't know if I even should have told you all this. But it's, it's our story. It's the hardest part of our story. And now Linda is going to come up, and she's going to tell you another part of our story. Get all wired up. Oh, that's not going to work, darling. <laughs> well, you can do like Brandy does and put it in your bra. That's what she does all the time. All right, enough of it. You are in so much trouble, you know. Oh, he doesn't realize how much. Okay, wait. I'm sorry. That's not going to work. No, this is not going to work. No. Oh my God! You might need to move on. Yeah. Okie dokie. Um, I have spoken in front of a crowd of people one time in my life. And it was when we were in Poland on a mission trip. And the I didn't know Polish, and the interpreter did not know Southern. <laughs> so to this day, I don't know what those sweet people are thinking 
we were doing. But anyway, uh, John, thank you, and please tell Fayer for inviting us back. Uh, the first time we gave our testimony, uh, I thought what you really needed to hear were the struggles that that you go through, and that we survived them. Um, but then I thought, is that really, really what we need to talk about? Uh, as Barry already said, Heath was in the hospital three times, twice in intensive care. Once he was uh, airlifted to another hospital. Um, and I thought, well, these people need to know that we've been through quite a bit, and I'm going to really put it out there. Then I decided, well, maybe I need to tell them how good a kid Heath was. Now, Barry already covered some of that, but I'll never talk too much about him. Mm -hmm. So he was compassionate, caring. Um, he loved life. He loved life. Excellent tennis player, number eight in the state. And in my opinion, he had all you would need when you're um, his age. So those reasons pointed mostly to Barry, me, and Heath. And that's, I realized that is not what Heath would have wanted, not at that point in his life. He would have wanted me to talk about Jesus Christ. He would have wanted me to tell everybody that Jesus was his Lord and Savior. So we know now, because of his statement about Christ. We know Heath is. We don't wonder. We don't hope. We don't think. We don't pray. We know. Because Heath had Jesus in his heart. And really more important than that is that God made a promise to me. And that was whosoever believeth in me. And I'm sure every one of you in here know that verse by heart. Well, Heath believed, and he accepted Christ. Uh, I think Barry had mentioned that he accepted Christ at an early age. But when he was baptized in front of a congregation of people at um, North Point, and Andy Stanley baptized him. And Andy said, Who's your Lord and Savior? And without a doubt, he just, Jesus Christ. So <laughs> there were a lot of friends with us, and they stood up clapping. I don't know that that was appropriate, but they did it anyway. And Andy prayed over Heath. And one of my friends that was there said, never heard him do that again. 
so uh, I pray sincerely that every person in this room is a believer I pray your child is a believer if you're not certain and they are not then when you get on your knees the next time to pray for them pray for their salvation first pray for their salvation before you pray for healing because the salvation is what will save them from well hell um so I have a hard time with my hands here. It's very well noticed. I am going to try my very best to read a letter that Heath wrote us several years ago. Well, many years before he passed away. And the way we got this letter was Barry already touched on the fact that Heath had lived with the family. Cindy and David Blust and when he was living there like Barry said they had lost a son also to an overdose and Heath wrote a letter and I think God just said let your mom let your dad rest in peace they know it they believe it but man, to have a letter to pull out and read would mean so much. So he he wrote that letter. He was very obedient. He wrote the letter, and he gave it to David Blust, the um, gentleman that he was living with. And he told David, he said, save this letter, and I pray You'll never have to give it to me. my mom and dad. But if something happens to me, then make sure they get it. So David was one of the first that Barry called um, about Heath. And David got in his car right then. He drove from Boone to Tennessee. To give this letter to Heath with a heavy heart. Give it to me. To us. Oh. Okay. I got him on my mind, I guess. <laughs> um, to give to us. And like I said, with a heavy heart. But at the same time, they were Christians. They were believers. They had spent enough years with Heath to know he is so at peace right now. He is so much better off. So I'm going to get through this one way or the other. I read it three times this afternoon so I could, so I could read it and not cry. Okay, I made it the third time I made it, so let's give it a shot anyway. Uh, dear Mom and Dad, if this letter makes it to you, then God in His grace and His mercy has taken me from the bondage of addiction. 
I know that you're experiencing tremendous pain and hurt, but I want you to know we will see each other again. Despite my actions, Jesus took me, embraced me, and I'm with him right now. For the first time in years, I am not depressed, I'm not lonesome, and more importantly, I'm not thinking about drugs. The only way I can describe addiction, and guys, this is so, so, so true, it is hell on earth. It is almost as if Satan is sitting on your shoulder all day telling you, you need to do drugs, you need to do drugs. It's important, Mom and Dad, for you to live life in the Spirit. Be happy. Know that your son is in paradise. And he... He is happy for the first time in a long time. There's still a lot of work for you to do on this earth. I have many friends who I will never see again if you do not lead them to Christ. I want all of my friends to be in heaven. I love them all. I want to see them again. But I won't if they don't accept Christ. And I'm asking you to, to lead them there. Please tell them that I love them. I appreciated their friendship. And I want to see them again. Please tell them I am sorry that I did not live a life from Christ. Another person, Mom, that I want you to lead to Christ is Trip. Now, Trip was the nephew, my sister's son. She died at 42 uh, from cancer. And the kids, her children, were uh, 16 and 18. So Barry and I pretty much um, just took over the responsibility and whatever they needed. And to this day, we're extremely close to him. But he, he said, I really want you to lead Heath to Christ. And you be sure and tell him that I'm with his mom right now and he was because my sister was a believer um, at my funeral I 
I want the song I can only imagine to be played. <laughs> Tell my friends that that's my favorite song forever. It was even better than any song that widespread panic. Whoever they are, I don't know. <laughs> but uh, I could only imagine was better than better than them. So, and he said, I used to listen to this song, and I would try to imagine what it would be like in heaven. Now, because of God's grace, I no longer have to imagine. Also, at my funeral, um, I want David and Cindy Blust to sit with the family. They played such an important role in my life. And I love them. And I'm grateful for the gift from God. This is a hard book. I long for the day when I will see you guys and Brandy. I'm truly sorry for any pain I have caused. I love you guys. I thank you for loving me. I will see you soon in heaven. Sometimes for me it's not soon enough. Um, now, lastly, I need to say that when you're in the middle of a crisis, you do not see God working at all. I know I didn't, but there were, he was, and I just didn't see it. I didn't know it. I was, I was angry. I was confused. I didn't understand. But I want to tell y'all about some miracles that happened, and I'm not going to go on forever, I promise y'all. But the miracles that were happening, uh, if I can get this finger to work. I got it. I got it. Well, I was going to talk to you about Heath living in Boone. Barry kind of covered that briefly. Uh, but as only a mother would do, uh, yes, he did go to Boone to live. And he was living with us at the time. So I followed him to a Seven Eleven. I filled his car up with gas. I bought him a sandwich and some chips and a drink and I gave him five dollars you don't give an addict much more than that because they won't they won't use it for what you gave it to them for and there he went he drove off that was the lowest point for me because There went one of the loves of my life. So, uh, uh, Barry touched on this 
a little bit about the blust, uh, Colin, when we were doing a prodigal meeting. And the reason they called was because my nephew had uh, just arrested their son for drug charges. And a trip brought him into jail, of course. And Trip was he was a compassionate person. He, you need to understand he had lived with Heath for several months, so he knew the struggle. So he called the parents of uh, this young man, and he said, "I've arrested your son for drugs. If you want to come down here to the jail, you'll be more than." welcome. I'll let you see him, talk to him. I'll talk to you. You know, try to get to the bottom of this. Well, they came and Tripp said, he calls me Aunt D. He said, as soon as she walked in, she grabbed my hands and she started praying and thanking me for arresting her son. And he's going, what? <laughs> And she said, you may have saved his life tonight. You may have opened his eyes tonight. I'm so grateful. So he said, well, I got to call my aunt. You need to talk to her. So he did. He called me right then when we were in the prodigal meeting. And he said, talk to this lady. So I did. Like Barry said, we gathered everything together. And I told Cindy, next time he comes here, I'll give him all this information to bring back. So when he came, we had it all together, gave it to him. He was in Boone. He was not living with them at the time. They they really didn't know him um, other than he was Tripp's uh, cousin. So he took it, and I always remember Cindy said that she opened the door, and he was standing there with a smile. And she said, God told me, take care of this child. He's one of mine. So a few weeks later, um, my nephew had to have surgery. The blood's called Heath said, you're moving in with us. Um, and he did. <laughs> they gave him his own room, his own bathroom. I mean, he he was in heaven right then because what he had with Tripp certainly wasn't that nice. And he stayed. Now, that did not cause friction between Tripp and Heath. Tripp worked the night shift and Heath worked in the daytime so there really wasn't a problem but it was God's gift to Heath it was God's gift to us and I will tell you one more little story that <laughs> it's not even about Heath well kind of but it was it, it's cute we had a piano and I wanted to be rid of that thing so bad. It was so ugly. 
all y'all know you had that piano your, your daughter was going to learn how to play never did uh, well, Barry's dad gave us the piano hoping our daughter would learn to play she didn't so I wanted rid of it and we got a call I thought nobody's ever going to call about it but they did and this man called and he said I'd like to come look at your piano and I said fine uh, you know 6.30, good with you. I want it very home. I didn't want somebody to come in and stab me to death. <laughs> so uh, he came. <laughs> yeah, Barry was going to protect me, right? So he showed up with his son. And I want to tell you right now, please, please, don't judge anybody by the way they look. Because I did. I did then, and when I opened the door and I saw this son, his son with him, and he had on what way back when they called it a life beater shirt. I don't know. Have y'all ever heard of that? No, no sleeves. He had tattoos up and down his arms. So I said, "Come on in," and uh, they went, and I showed him the piano. Barry and I were just kind of standing there, and I said, well, Barry, let's go in the other room and let them look at the piano and maybe even play it. It probably had no tune to it. So we went in the other room, and guys, all of a sudden, that piano was playing Amazing Grace. And Barry and I just went, whoa, it was just beautiful just beautiful and of course Barry jumps up and goes in there I mean you know he got to see what's going on see if the wife bears playing the piano <laughs> so I, I just kept sitting there and I thought Lord this is not about a piano this is this is about more than that and I remembered his letter Went upstairs to his room, which to this day I haven't touched. It's all the same. And I got this letter. And when I brought it down, Barry, the dad, and the son had their arms around each other. And they were praying. And I thought, okay, what is going on? come to learn this young man was a prodigal had come back to the Lord he went to youth groups and played the piano for anybody that wanted him to come and play and sing so I gave him his letter and I said there's not a doubt in my mind that God took Keith but he left behind an amazing letter an amazing thing that we can spread so if you will take this letter and anytime you go to youth group you feel that God's kind of prompting you please read it Please just read it to them. Uh, you never know who it's going to touch.
that's that's it for me. I think John, or will we go go the other route first? Oh, absolutely. Uh, uh, yeah, hey, we're open book. Trust me. Uh, there was a time that we m- I may have been ashamed, but that didn't last long. We're in open book. Ask me anything. I'll answer it as honestly as I know how. And I'll tell you, I don't know if any of your kids are on heroin. I'm scared to death of fentanyl right now, and I'm scared to death that I got a grandson going off to college. And I just told him, I said, "You're at a fraternity party." Somebody says, "Just take this. It's it's like, you know, what you would take when you got ADD, but they don't know it's laced in fentanyl, and they're dead before the evening's over." So. I do remember that he did have what they call track marks. So, I've seen it all. Been there, done that. Anybody have a question for me or for Barry? Uh, Like I said, we're open book here. Can you tell the story about how you got that picture? Oh, oh mercy. He was living with the blust at at that time. And they had that. I mean, it wasn't theirs. They just had one. And I saw it and I said, oh, I said, I would love to have that picture. And, and Heath wasn't a big one to buy Christmas presents. But if you'll look, the chains are broken and God is holding him in his arms and that's what he got me for Christmas one year um, and I know y'all might be thinking Linda how'd you give that away well it was in Heath's room where nobody could see it it's in John's office <laughs> where anybody can see it and I know John does point to it often. I know John loves it. He loved it time he first saw it. But the chains are off. He's free. And I'll see him again. And this was God's plan for his life. Okie dokie. Why don't you um, why don't you play that song? This is kind of in honor. Well, I just talked about it. Will I fall? Will I 
soapbox about this eternal perspective. I think it's maybe it's because I'm 73 and I've gotten old and normal die shortly anyway. So, so I've gotten an eternal perspective. But but talk to your friends, talk to your neighbors, talk to the people that you love. And if they don't have, it's an easy way to get into a conversation. What do you mean eternal perspective? Of course, y'all know what I mean. But that that would be something that I hope you take away. That's all I got. Okay. All right. Thank you.